0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload Podcast. I'm Cliff Sarin and I'm joined today by John Sheridan and Nicola Welsh from the National Archive. The topic of today's podcast is semantic data. Uh, but to get things started, John and Nicola... Can you just briefly introduce yourselves, please?
1: Of course, so my name's John Sheridan and I'm the Digital Director at the National Archives.
2: Um, I'm Nikki Welch. I am the Service Owner for Access to Digital Records at the National Archives.
0: Well, it's lovely to meet you both uh, virtually. Um, So I just want to start uh, opening with the first question, which is what, how would you describe a, semantic data and, and what is a semantic data platform uh, So what is semantic data let's start with that
1: oh, that's such a big question <laughs> um, and um, I I can say a little bit about how I tend to think of it mm. which is where the meaning of the data can be understood because you have used some formal conceptual model to um, describe what your your data is about. Mm. So, for example, um, we're going to be talking a lot about the Find Case Law Service, which is publishing court judgments. um, And um, you can imagine just publishing the documents like a PDF document or whatever. It doesn't tell you very much about what the judgment is about. Mm. But if you add some extra information so that um, the court is clear um, and the date that the judgment was handed down is a clearly defined piece of information and the neutral citation, so like a special way the court used to identify their judgments is also explicitly Marked up in the document, then you have a document that um, tells you something about what it means. So Mm. it tells you I'm not just any old document, I'm a judgment, and um, I was given by this court and I was given on this date, and I have this identification and I was between these parties. Um, So, um, in a way, the document um, uh, or the data. Um, is self-describing and you do that by um, commonly by using um, data models standard data models um, that allow you to represent those extra bits of um, information that tells you what the data is about
0: mm. um <clears throat> it's uh, i mean i've i've searched you know the pdf documents uh from the you know the court 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 papers as they're presented as PDF documents usually, uh, but why why is there a need to have documents that are as you as you say self describing or self that they know what they are kind of thing? why is that important?
1: Well, there's a few angles to this, um, and from the perspective of the National Archives as a digital archive. Mm. Um, part of what we do is um, we, we're we preserving court judgments um, in the digital archive for the future and that means making sure that they can be rendered um, as technologies change but it also means knowing what evidence the document is of yes um so um we talk about intellectual control in the archive. Mm. Um, And um, having intellectual control for the records that we have, including judgments, means knowing who produced the record, um, when, um, and with judgments, we're just receiving the documents. So um, uh, we're not receiving any additional metadata. One of the glories with judgments as records is that they're very... Um, they're very self-describing. So the information that you need about the judgment is in the judgment. It mm. tells you who the court was. It tells you who the parties were. It yes. tells you um, when the judgment was issued. Um, uh, it tells you a lot. Um. So, um. But this kind of intellectual control point is really fundamental to us. We we try and make sure that we have intellectual control of everything we have in in the archive mm. um so people know what the records are evidence of um, and can um can treat them then with you know whatever degree of confidence or skepticism that they choose in terms of using those records
0: okay um i mean i guess you know for my limited understanding the the court documents are in a human readable form uh but somehow you have to make them machine readable uh well what what are some of the steps that need to be taken in order to to get there
2: okay so we receive um judgments in um office format so as a microsoft word document mm. um and we have a clever microservice which we call parser which converts the docx into xml for us okay. into the legal document markup language yeah. which is um an open standard for mm. legal documents. Um, and then we take the XML, we publish that as it is, but we also convert the XML, we transform the XML into HTML. Um, and that's what you you would usually use as a human user of the Fine Case Law service, you'd be reading HTML. Mm. And as a data user or as another service, you'd be consuming the XML. Along,
0: I mean, along with the microservice, there's, there is some kind of a database involved, I guess, to make this thing sort of searchable. Uh, I mean how did you decide on what database to use and why is uh, you know one database more suited to this kind of information the um the xml that that previously was word files doc docx files
1: so the fine case law service was um not our first go mm. with working with um legal documents yes. so we've had Um, We run the government's legislation database, a service called um, legislation.gov.uk. And we've been involved with um, working with um, some of the issues around legal documents, legislation and now court judgments for quite a long time. Mm. So we had a pretty good idea from the get go about the model that we wanted to use for representing the judgments that we wanted to align the data model with
0: mm.
1: what we were doing with legislation um, and it made sense to align the technology as well mm. so um, uh, we've used um, a, a database um, called MarkLogic logic for legislation.gov.uk mm. um, all the way since 2010 oh, okay so we've used that for over um, over 12 years mm. um, and We have a pretty good understanding about what that's good for, um, what it does really well. Um, And it was a relatively straightforward decision to decide to use the same technology that we were using for managing our legislation documents for court judgments. Um, So we chose to use MarkLogic for storing the judgments Mm -hmm. um, in the legal document markup language. Um, MarkLogic's also... um, providing us with the search. Um, So one of the nice features is it gives us a database, but it also gives us the search engine. Yes. Um, And it also allows us to manage um, the the documents as data Mm. and data that we extract from the documents. Um, So like semantic data, it allows us to manage that as well. So um, it gave us one Mm. kind of... um, logic database. We can mm-hmm. store the documents. We can store the semantic data that we extract from the documents, and we can use it to run our search. Um, and it's technology that um, we were familiar with as an organisation, and that we we felt really confident um, would work in this context.
0: Yes, um, I mean it's interesting. I mean you're 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 the National Archive, um, and you've been using this piece of technology, you know, twelve years, right? Um, how how do you assess, do you think well what's what's your point of view on how as technologies move on, uh, you know, we were talking about docx and I remember when I first used um Word and it was, you know, it wasn't obviously WordX, it was um it wasn't DocX, it was a different totally different format, you know, the doc it was doc doc doc, but it was a different wasn't XML based or anything. So file formats change, you know, as the industry evolves. Um and how, how do you look at where in order how, how do you assess how to make things work in a way that it would be compatible in the future you know without you know you can't obviously predict what the next big thing is going to be or where you'll be moving next but i guess you have to you know once you have i mean you you you're you're an archive so stuff has to be you know readable from m- many many years ago to you know where we are today and you know, whatever comes up going forward has to be in, in that you know in that system. And I was wondering how you how you, how you look at making sure that whatever technology decisions you make uh, c- would allow you to move forward without being effectively <clears throat> locked out of your data.
1: So I'll perhaps have a go at talking about that in general terms, yes, and then Nikki yeah. might um unpack some of the particular issues that we run into with um with judgment. So mm. from the perspective of the digital archive, I suppose we tend to like we use technology for preserving records mm. and for providing access to records. But we know that the technology will be obsolete um, in archival terms, quite a short period of time. Yes. Um, and the records need to survive. Any technology that we might use for managing them um, or for producing them Mm. so you know our starting point is um, you know the technologies that we're using are here today and gone tomorrow and the records need to somehow last Mm. Um, and we tend to view that through um, a risk lens so what risk do the technologies that we're using pose to the survivability of the record Mm. and how can we mitigate the risks that the records have um, and there are various strategies that a digital archive can use to mitigate risks to its holdings one is migrating the content from one format that might be um, difficult to produce into a format where you may have a bit more confidence in um, the survivability of the information now um, Word is an interesting format in terms of what risks you have with content that's in Word documents. Um, On one hand, um, uh, it's quite a pervasive format. So it's very widely supported. And you can imagine the software um, that that we'll see in the future will continue to have the ability to support Microsoft Word Mm. for you know, a few decades to come. Mm. Um, on the other hand, um, uh, what you see on your screen when you access a Word document and what is in the file,
0: mm. um,
1: which you might imagine is the same, can turn out to be in reality quite different. Um, yeah. So perhaps, Nikki, you could expand a bit on that in terms of the issues that we've been grappling with, with um, with judgments and producing surrogates.
2: Yeah, so I think surrogate creation is really the key to providing access to digital records, whatever format they originate in.
0: Uh, sorry to stop you there, Nikki. Um, what is a uh, surrogate?
2: So a surrogate in a digital archive sense is just a new version or a new format Um, which takes the original document and takes it into a format which is more suitable for the purpose for which you are using it. So for example, um, when we're building digital services for the web um, and you're accessing it using a web browser, um, HTML and CSS is the perfect combination for that particular use. Um, And we've already talked about um, converting the DocX to XML um, as a data standard. Um, So for judgments we those are the surrogate formats that we're talking about um and they're really useful for presenting this information to the different audiences which are going to be consuming it
0: okay uh so so finally i just wanted to ask um both of you what what are you sort of working on now and what what are your plans going forward so the
1: the fine case law service it's a really young service so we're Mm. still in alpha um and um whilst we've made a really good kind of first step in terms of setting up a publishing pipeline, well bringing the judgments into the archive and preserving them, but also setting up a publishing pipeline um, for representing uh, the judgments as semantic data and making them available for reuse, we're still really in the foothills of what we can Um, express about those documents and what they contain, um, whether that's citations to other documents or to other judgments, other pieces of legislation, or the role that different portions of um, the judgment um, have. So um, this part of the document is setting out the facts of the case. This part of the document um, is telling you what the conclusion the court was so documents are very rich um and um uh one part of what we're trying to do um perhaps nikki can say a bit more about is um uh expose a bit more of that richness um uh, and make the documents easier for people to work with Mm.
2: yeah so i think um the next the next step for the case law service is to integrate it um, with another microservice, which we're calling the judgment enrichment pipeline. Mm -hmm. Um, And that will mark up um, other cases which are cited within the judgments and pieces of legislation um, which are linked to within the judgment. Um, And that will help users navigate between related judgments and related pieces of legislation which are published on our um, sister service legislation.gov.uk. Um, and we're also going to take that enrichment and create, um, RDF from that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, hopefully that will provide another point at which we can query the data, um, and see the relationships, um, between the judgments and between these data points kind of take on a kind of new, new level of meaning. Um, so we're, we're just, um, Starting that now, really. Okay. And it's a it's, it's exciting kind of a new phase for us. so
0: you just missed me with an acronym there. What is RDF?
1: So RDF is the Resource Description Framework, oh, and it's, <laughs>
0: um,
1: it's an it's an open standard for describing data, particularly in in a kind of semantic web way.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and one of the things that we like about using um, this particular standard for data um, that's in documents is that you can um, link or point to the document or maybe even the particular a particular part of the document. Um, and you can connect, if you like, document oriented information with more structured information. Um, from other places Um, so for example we've got a lot of information about legislation documents and you can link from judgments quite exactly to particular portions of legislation but represent the linking information separately like in its own database Mm. so it's a it's a standard that allows you to create for want of a better phrase these kind of knowledge graphs
0: okay brilliant well john nickley thank you ever so much it's been fantastic talking to you And thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.